Blog Talk Radio. radio. So what is the secret to truly living a satisfying life? That's a big question. We have the answer, a treasure trove of tips for attaining a balanced, empowered life. So stay tuned. There's so much to glean from tonight's guest. This is your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnected healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice, located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com 
slash energy awareness. My guest, Dr. Peter Borton, along with his wife and co-author, Brianna, have made it their mission to create a more peaceful world by helping individuals reestablish a sense of inner peace and balance. They are the creators of the Rituals of Living online community and Dragon Tree, a wellness organization with holistic spas in Portland and Boulder, online courses, natural body care products, and resources for vibrant living. Peter is a doctor of Asian medicine and acupuncture and a certified Qigong instructor who helps people attain whole health of body and mind. He has authored hundreds of articles spanning topics such as stress, emotional wellness, nutrition, fitness, and our connection with nature. So welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? I am being well. How are you? I am being well, too. Thank you for asking. (laughs) Your book, (laughs) The Well Life, there is so much content that is truly useful. It's easy. It's simple. It it, it really is a treasure trove to well-being. Three parts, foundation, resources to thriving, and integrating to well-being. I love the simplicity, the back-to-basics approach, the ease of it all, and, and I do mean ease of it all, everything from sleep and nutrition to meditation and setting intentions. It's all encompassing so that after it's read, it becomes a reference book of sorts, something that, you know, maybe you could keep on your desk or use as a tool throughout the day. That's kind of how I view it. And I'd like to start by asking you, what was the catalyst to you writing this book? And was it your intent for it to be an ongoing reference or resource for people? Well, first, thank you for that uh, glowing review, and I'm glad that it's been so useful. And um, I would say the real impetus for it came from uh, recognizing that we had a bunch of patients between us who uh, were essentially got to a place where they were well of body and mind. They, by the usual standards, their bodies and minds worked fine. Um, and yet that couldn't be said for the rest of their lives, like their relationship with money or family or their career um, didn't have the same kind of health. Uh, maybe their, their relationship with money was that it was always a struggle or their work was you know, just drudgery and didn't have any soul to it uh, or they didn't feel like they were really using their gifts or doing what they set out to do a couple decades ago and they were still full of dreams. Um, and we we realized that this showed that there was a need to expand our definition of wellness to include all facets of life um, and that it really couldn't be considered an entirely well life if, you know, your mind and body worked well, but you always had a struggle with money or, you you know, you never had uh, loving and supportive relationships. So we set out to teach people that and, um Somehow or other, we had sort of stumbled on that ourselves or stumbled over a period of decades. And so a lot of people asked us, how do you guys do it? You know, you seem to have so much going on, but you're not stressed out. And, um, you know, I would say that it was a bit of a of an assumption on their part that we never experienced stress. We had <laughs> figured out a few things along the way. Um, and so that was this book was a product of that. That is, that's wonderful because people, you know, usually people do write from their experiences and such. And, and this is just done in, in a way that, I mean, I read a lot of books. I read a book a week and interview the author every single week. And this one is done in a way that is easy to understand, simple, and easily, easily integratable. You know, it's not, there are not things in this book that you think, oh, my God, it's going to take me five hours to do this. You know, it, it, it doesn't. It's just not. It's not that way. And right now, it probably couldn't come at a more needed time where there are so many challenges. There's so much energy out there right now that is just uh, sporadic and heavy and negative and all that's going on in the world. This is a very much needed book. I, uh, I would like to talk about the three fundamental principles for a satisfying life. But first, in order to do that, before we get to that, if you would provide for us your vision or definition of what what is a satisfying life? Well, I think that it varies a lot from person to person, but 
you know, as we strove to kind of define that ourselves and we were informed by what our clients were looking for, um, we came up with a handful of qualities, um, some of which are – and a few of these I I have sort of memorized because I've thought about them so much. Um, some of the core ones, I would say, would be an experience of ease that is like a, a – generally feeling a state of mental and physical relaxation, even when you're working hard. And that's something that uh, one of my Tai Chi teachers really impressed upon me. He was a fierce little Chinese man who um, insisted that you should be able to work at your absolute maximum while still experiencing a state of relaxation. Um, and, the, and another uh, quality of uh, a well and satisfying life, I would say, is, a, is an experience of openness where there's a tendency to uh, accept what life brings us rather than resist, a, a, a tendency to expand, um, and an experience of essential integrity where basically your mental, emotional, physical stability isn't easily disturbed by internal or external forces. Um, and then I would say some of the more measurable things would be like healthy and fulfilling relationships and um, abundant income enough for your living expenses and savings and leisure uh, and frequent experiences of play and enjoyment um, and the experience of uh, community and connection with people and maybe a higher power. See, I told Those you it's all-encompassing. <laughs> Those are just a few. Those are a lot, <laughs> and it is all-encompassing when you hear what you're talking about because that is all the things that do comprise a satisfying life. And, and while I'll agree that some people will say, well, I'm satisfied if my job is, you know, if, if I have a job and, and I make enough money to make ends meet, and I'm thinking, no, that's not full satisfaction. That really isn't. It's more like being a well-rounded person. And you do cover, you know, every aspect in your book. So the three fundamental principles for that to get there. And you can see when you're reading the book, you can see how you can get there through these fundamentals. So is it okay if we go over the three of those principles? Yeah, I'm happy to. And, and, you know, first I, I just to speak to what you, you just said, you know, this started out as an attempt to help people get these practical measurable goals where people were like, I want my work to feel good and meaningful, or I want to have more income, or I want to be in a loving relationship. And we were repeatedly kind of hit over the head with the knowing that those measures of a satisfying life are really not the big picture, that it that it is something beyond that and that it, and that an experience of wellness isn't really dependent on any of those material measures that a person could be um you know disabled they could be in terrible health they could be experiencing great challenges and still be experiencing you know bliss peace a yes. sense of connection all sorts of ways in which you know, our life circumstances don't dictate what's possible for us. So that's why I had to say those more sort of expansive concepts because I, I really think, you know, your circumstances could be almost anything and you could still experience of, uh, that your life is good. I agree with you. And I think that now your book, when did it, it launch this year, but what month? I mean, we're only in May. When did it, it actually It was come early out? December. Yeah, it, okay. was, it was December 6th, I believe. So to your point before, it, it was like right after the election, and it did feel like it was a fortuitous time for it to come out because there was so much turmoil and still is. So I was just going to say, still is. Yeah, that's a yeah. way, <laughs> you know, and we're only that's only five months ago. So when you yeah. look at that and, and and you nailed it, I mean, everything that you're saying, I think, is in this book to the reader if they really want to have a satisfied life, because you can, we've all seen people on TV who, you know, above and beyond remarkable odds, they're able to do things. They, they don't have limbs. They're married with children. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, if that person can do that, then surely I should not be complaining about whatever my circumstances <laughs> and everybody is it different, does you know, give you perspective. Yeah. It does. It does. But you can see that within the book, too. So, you know, it certainly is. Uh, the timing certainly is is there. It's, it's, I think it's going to be needed for a while. So thank you for that. 
<laughs> You're welcome. Um, and I, and uh, I know you've you've mentioned these three principles a few times. So rather than keep your listeners hanging, um, they are we call them structure, sweetness, and space. Mm-hmm. And um, we we both come from backgrounds in Asian medicine that uh, that derive their kind of basic philosophy from the elements of the natural world, kind of the, this interplay of things like air and earth and fire and water. Um, and so we were sort of inspired by that kind of concept of, of this interdependence of different um, different strengths and forces. Uh, and so these three, structure, sweetness, and space, are, you know, they're not independent qualities. They rely on each other. Um, and uh, And we can talk about them individually. Yes, yes, I was going to ask you, when you say sweetness, you know, people think of food, you know, or nice little girls playing, isn't it sweet that they're having a tea party? But what do you mean when you use that word sweetness for a satisfying life? Yeah, well, I mean, clearly, you know, our language indicates that the sweet taste is something, you know, it it speaks to a certain pleasantness of experience that we apply to other things, too. It's why we call our loved ones honey or sugar plum Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, Sweetness is um, our term for all of the sort of feel-good and soul-nourishing parts of life, like cooking a meal and eating and hanging out with friends and stretching or taking a bath. Um, and our our main message for people around sweetness is that we too often see people regarding the sweet parts of life as like a treat or a reward or even an indulgence, and therefore that it's something that can always be put off until the end of the day or the end of the week or maybe until retirement. Um mm. And we feel like that's a tragedy because it is. it's not an indulgence. It's these things feel the fact that they feel good shows should show us that they are intrinsically therapeutic for us. That feeling good puts us in a state where we come back into alignment and we heal, and and it means that they're fortifying for us, and it means that incorporating these things into our life on a regular basis will make us better able to do the regular day-to-day stuff in a more present and efficient and effective way. And I agree because a lot of people, you know, my clients and patients, when they come in and we're talking or I'm giving them a treatment, they, they talk about how, oh, I come in because it just feels so good when you're playing the music or you're doing the reconnective healing on me. It just, this is something I do for me. And that's great. But then there's the flip side. They'll say, but you know, I'm not sick. So I feel like I'm being greedy or I don't deserve this. And I think, oh, hold on. You know, I mean, that's just so horrible that our society brings us up that way where, you know, you can't, you don't deserve something or it's greedy to take that. Yeah. There's enough for everyone. There's enough for everyone. Yeah. Well, we do live in a country that was founded by Puritans. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, but True. yeah, it's it's really built in there and especially, you know, uh, there's a religious element to it as well that that we see mm-hmm. f- good feelings as as being in, intrinsically sinful um but yeah i mean I, i've had to to have that same conversation with people so many times because we own spas and people you know they come in to get a massage and they're like hi it's a little bit of an indulgence you know they have yeah. that kind of sheepish <laughs> thing about it and i feel like no don't it's you're doing something great for yourself here <laughs> For your wellness, so, so you can go can work. Yeah, and yeah. I keep telling them, this is like the oxygen mask theory. You know, you have to help you. If you really want to help others, you have to help you first. But really, your job is to help you. It's, it's really about helping you. This is not being greedy or and you shouldn't feel guilty. But it, that's a tough one to get over. What are some of the things yeah. that, you know, the sweetness things, for instance, in your opinion, in mine too, I'm sure, a sweetness thing would be if somebody went for a massage or a spa treatment or an energy therapy treatment or even go into a yoga class. You know, that you do for you. And those I put all in the same kind of category. Yeah. Um, well, all those things. And um, really, I, I think the key, what makes it sweet is that you've, you're bringing a certain presence to it. And mm-hmm. theoretically, it could be almost anything. It could be washing the dishes or mowing the lawn if you would really allow yourself to just completely be immersed in it and enjoy it for what it is. 
Um, but since that's a bit of a challenge for people, you know, we can go back to things more like taking a bath, stretching, doing some self-massage or getting a massage uh, or you know, sharing a massage with a friend or cooking some delicious food or going to a farmer's market, uh, taking a walk in nature, um, things that please you, please your senses, thing, you know, viewing beautiful art, listening to music that moves you, all those things. So is it safe for me to say that it would be looking at things that you enjoy in a different way to the point where you see the deliciousness of it and you can savor it? Yes. I mean, I think there's a value to deliberately scheduling into your calendar activities that are pure sweetness activities, like scheduling in a massage or a bath or hangout time with friends with no pressure to do anything and at the same time, there should be a goal of finding the sweetness that's already part of the things that comprise your your regular everyday routine, bringing the sweetness into um, mundane activities. Like if you're going to wash the dishes or something, maybe lighting a candle or putting on music or mm-hmm. uh, doing something else to sweetify it. And also finding that sweetness. So when you, you know, are say having your groceries checked out at the at the store or something, is there an opportunity for connection with the person who's doing this for you? Is there is there some sweetness that can be found in whatever it is you're doing? Mm-hmm. And and here's a stupid example, probably, but I've been doing this for years. Every time we move, and and I have a linen closet, and I hate washing clothes and folding clothes, but I do it because you know there's nobody else to do it, and so. I do that, and when I put them away, I line, I put right in the front of every shelf, there's hamburg lace with purple ribbon running through it, so that when I put it away, it makes me feel good. Now, that is just a little tiny thing, and people laugh all the time. They'll say, T, we know which house you've lived in, because we can see the, the linen shelves are adorned with this hamburg lace and purple ribbon. And I say, yep, it's okay, it works for me. Uh-huh. You know, it makes me happy when I go in there. Yeah. So it's a... It's a crazy little thing, but it's my little thing. But what's interesting is when you said, you know, finding the time, because you're right, the sweetness, the structure, and the space all work off of each other because when you do the sweetness and you start to find the time, that's creating the space that you need, correct? Right. Yes, and it's utilizing your structure right? <laughs> your, in, in the sense of your calendar to make sure that, that it's incorporated in there. And, uh, And you know, you can get things done in just a sort of mechanical way, moving one foot in front of the other, or you can make it fun and enjoyable like you're doing with your lace. I think, yeah, I think the the structure, I think that in terms of order and organization, and for me, it's vital to being satisfied. Otherwise, I would accomplish very little. I manage my personal life, professional life, you know, along with such things as money and, and most especially my time. So it's vital to being satisfied for me, and I'm going to say for others as well, that you are able to manage that part of your life to put things in, or you won't get anything done. There has to be some sense of order. Yeah, I think you can safely say that's true for everyone. And so maybe we should move to structure. Mm -hmm. Um, Structure is just our term for the life architecture that – enables you to manage your life and shape it the way that you want it to go. And so that includes everything from the simplest uh, planning that that allows you to wake up when you need to and get yourself dressed and showered and where you need to be to accomplishing really ambitious goals like starting a foundation for children uh, Mm -hmm. or – you know, moving across the country or to the place of your dreams or something else. Um, and absolutely, your your structure needs to be in service to your sweetness and space in order for those things to make it into your life to the degree that they need to be. And I think sometimes, because it happened to me, so I'm going to use this as an example, sometimes the structure happens to you and and you are you find yourself in a sense of ease and flow because of 
things that happened in your life that changed the trajectory. There were triggers that changed the trajectory, and next thing you know, this is going on, and it just seems to be going, and you're almost, you are being divinely guided to do whatever it is, and therefore the structure changes. That happens. Yeah, it does happen, and I think um, <laughs> it actually, it, 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 it takes, it, it's surprising, really, since I think it really it involves allowing more than anything um, for that mm-hmm. to happen, how rare that really occurs. That most of the time, people impose a lot of structure on their lives because they don't really trust in that. Um, and that's not to say that that if you trusted, you wouldn't need structure. I think structure is vitally important, and anybody who's ever accomplished anything significant in the world even, you know, very sort of spiritual goals uh, has utilized structure in some sort of way. You know, Mother Teresa, in her own way, utilized structure in order to reach so many people. Um, So a lot of people we find um, don't necessarily need more structure, but we would love to see them with life structures that are more consciously forged and maybe more organic and flexible and many of us just kind of end up with a life of structures that developed without a lot of consciousness we sort of began you know we all kind of enter adulthood without a tremendous amount of direct instruction about it and we begin realizing i just need to figure this stuff out and so we put together structures that work for us maybe mostly in like adolescence and early adulthood. And a lot of us never really revisit those um, maybe for years or ever to discover that we've been doing things in a way that's inefficient or outdated or in the service of goals that aren't really relevant to us anymore. Yes. So that's what I mean by conscious. Yes. Mindfulness and awareness of what it is you're doing and that, but that happens with everything. For instance, when, when you were talking about, you know, you can be doing the dishes and light a candle or turn on music, as long as it's done with mindfulness and awareness, that's a form to me of meditation because right there you're in a space where you're just paying attention in the moment to what you're doing and it's very meditative. So it's something that can be, uh, you can, you can get a lot of satisfaction out of that because immediately if you're only thinking about that one thing that you're working on or focusing on, that's all you're thinking about. And you, there's no brain chatter. There's nothing else going on that if you truly focus on it, that is a form of meditation. So it will allow you to relax. And you can bring in structure that way as well, because you'll know, well, this is what I need to do during this hour and do the full focus thing in your, your sweetness with coupled with your structure and allowing the space that we haven't really talked about that much yet all comes together as one and it can be a very meditative type of life that you're living because you're being more mindful. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I, a lot of people probably bristle at the idea of having more structure in their life because they think it's going to take away mm-hmm. spontaneity or freedom in some way where I think if you really use structure the way that you just spoke of, it can be liberating. If you really, if you really followed through on the structures that you set out in, um, you know, a very conscious way with, with integrity around what you have set out for yourself, then in any moment you would know exactly what you should be doing because you've already defined that. And there'd be no reason to, to escape and go somewhere else in your mind or entertain ideas of doing something else at the same time. You'd say, I set aside from 11 to 11.30 to clean the house, and I should do nothing but that in order to fulfill the agreement I made with myself. And you can feel Mm -hmm. good about having done that while being completely present in it. It's instant gratification. (laughs) You know, it really is. And and I think yeah. a lot of it has to do the lack of the lack of structure was kind of thrust upon us by 
you know, technology. Technology has a lot to do with people not having structure. They think they're they're so uh, managing time so well because they have their little magic phones and all, everything, you know, is in there. And I set up an appointment and my appointment, everything, their life is in their phone. It is in their phone. Mm-hmm. And people laugh at me because I don't have one of those. I don't want one. I don't need one. It doesn't serve me well at all. I don't know how to text. Gun to head. You'd have to shoot me. I don't care. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need it, you know, and one of the first things I ask clients when they come in is how much time do you spend on the gadgets that you have in your life? And really, what's it doing to you? Because they are made of energy, too, and that energy is not good for your life force energy, but that's another whole topic. So, you know, I look at that and I think the structure that people have become accustomed to, I guess, was just handed to them and they went for it. Do you think that that is partly true? Yeah, I think it's it's widely true. Uh, for me, I think when we're speaking about the technology piece, um, you know, in the same way that I would that I would speak about like a variety of different substances that people often engage with in an addictive way, or money, uh, all those kinds of things, the the nature of our relationship with them is what determines whether it's a healthy thing or not, rather than the thing itself. So I know people, um, myself included, although I vary in this capacity, who utilize these devices in a way that helps them stay organized and mm-hmm. has a you know a minimal effect of interference. And then there are people who have a completely addictive relationship with any of these things. Um, for sure, a lot of... Uh, uh, the technology and uh, things like social media employ um, devices and, and structures that promote addictive behavior. There are things like on Facebook where people get likes for the comments that they mm-hmm. post or even just <laughs> the little like chime that you get when you receive an email or a text. All those things are forms, subtle forms of random positive reinforcement, which like a slot machine is among the most addictive things to humans, that every once in a while you're going to get just a little bit of a win. And so that keeps us checking back on our email or checking our phones over and over throughout the day to see if we've got a little bit more uh, of that approval. That that It's a, quite a, a hollow form of approval. But for sure those things can contribute to uh, to a form of structure in our lives that just sort of uh, – you know, brings in a tremendous amount of chaos. Um, you know, there have been times uh, with Brianna and I where both of us have wanted to smash the other's cell phone. <laughs> and I would guess that that's the case for lots of couples out there. Um, luckily, we're both in a place where we've, um, you know, we've set rules for ourselves around how we use that technology that it doesn't infringe on the rest of our lives. And I really feel like that's an important thing for everyone to do. And I want to tell you about the electromagnetic influence too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's so funny because I laugh a lot and people get mad at me when I laugh because I'll say, look, go into a restaurant. Nobody talks anymore. Everybody's texting. You're all going to have like carpal tunnel in your thumbs in 10 years. You know, that in 20 years ago, if someone said you could communicate with people in 20 years through your thumbs, no one would have believed it. They would have thought, what are you talking about? And that's exactly what people are doing. And they laugh at me because I don't know any of this stuff. I, I do have a Facebook page for my Children's Foundation, but someone handles that for me. I don't I don't want to. It's too stressful. It's, it's not good. I just, you know, it's like, no, I'm not doing that. You, you take care of it. And... <laughs> You know, it, to me, yeah. I, I look at it and I think there are more people that are stressed out about the technology than most of the other things going on because the technology is interfering. If technology, when it's used for good, is great, but when it becomes so much of an impact in your life and it's addictive, you're, you're blowing up every aspect of your life. Every area of your life gets blown up. And, and I've been challenged a number of times. You absolutely need to get a phone that does texting. I'm like, no, I do not. My husband is an, a VP at an IT company, and guess what? He doesn't even have a magic phone. He does not, and his phone sits, his razor, just like mine from 2006, usually is sitting on the kitchen counter being charged <laughs> all day. He doesn't even take work. So, you know, I know it can be done, but that's just one yeah. thing, you know. Um, and then the last one, the third one, which we touched on a bit, is space, just creating space. Yeah. And people have trouble with that, too. 
It's true. I mean, just like space itself is an intangible thing, it's a bit of a, of an elusive concept for people to get. Um, it, it, we're really talking about an experience of expansiveness in your consciousness that happens when you really drop into the present when you meditate, when you spend time in nature, it's an opening that happens where your attention expands beyond your mind itself. So, so many of us, you know, put our attention almost exclusively on our own inner dialogue. And rather than living at that edge of our experience where we're interacting with other people and the world, we're back in our minds watching our own analyses and criticisms of it. It's like the phenomenon <laughs> back to cell phones where it's like you right. see people standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Some people are looking down in the Grand Canyon in total awe, and other people <laughs> are looking at the picture of the Grand Canyon on the screen of their phone, and they're like, look at the picture I just took of what we're looking at. So that's kind of, you know, what we do, the way that we sort of pull back from experience itself. Um, and space is our term for the ways that we open ourselves back up and we remember that we're so much more than our minds. We we access an openness that allows us to grow. Um, it, it gives us a buffer between um, the ways that life affects us and our reactions so that we can respond in a more thoughtful way. Um, you know, it lets us really understand who we are. And I think it takes away the overwhelm. I think overwhelm is huge right now. It's like the popular thing to be in complete and total overwhelm. Doing a workshop, the one way to get it to stop completely is to put two people together, put everybody in groups of two, and say to them, now I want you to talk about how busy you are. And you will just see two people one-upping each other on how busy they are. And, <laughs> and I think, wow, that, there oh, is overwhelm sad. here. Do you see it? It is. It is. You know, uh, I found myself the other day, I, I'm looking out my backyard window and I see a fox, a red fox, and she's got three pups, or kittens, I guess they call them. And then I saw she had four, and then I said, wait, I think there are five. And then two days later, I'm like, wait, there's eight. Oh, my God, there's eight. How'd she get to have eight? And I thought, that's just crazy. Now, they're not all the same size, so I think she took on somebody else's. But what I realized was I spent about 20 minutes looking out the window, watching this fox take care of her little, little kittens and somebody else's because, they're, you know, the gestation period's like... 60 days, and they clearly were not 60 days apart. And I thought, wow, okay, this is really interesting. And I still was able to get everything done I needed to get done that day, even though I took that time. And that just validates that you can take time because what it does is it gives you, it almost gives you the energy to do things in a quicker way or a better way because now you've relaxed and you didn't even know it. I didn't even realize it until I was done. I said, okay, now what do I need to do? You know, I clearly can't stand here all day watching. It's like when people, were you watching April the giraffe? People were online watching that giraffe deliver her baby. No. And waiting, waiting from April no. 1st. Oh, my gosh. April 1st, some zoo, I think, in Chicago, has a, they put a camera in the, in the cage where the giraffe is. And this giraffe is pregnant. And she's due any second. It's imminent. They might have to induce her. The baby was born on April 15th. More than two weeks later, 15 days later, people were watching this. It had so many likes and all that stuff. And I was laughing because I thought, well, if that's the way you can get nature, at least you're getting something. <laughs> yeah, right. Better than nothing. Yeah. Oh, know, yeah, absolutely. And not to belabor the whole technology point, but yeah, I think that that our technology has been a huge encroachment on our space, and uh, we refer to to that as the human data stream, as the as the kind of river of multimedia information that passes through our lives in the form of TV and radio and emails and tweets and Facebook posts and everything else, and the globalization of media and uh, our information resources has been simultaneously phenomenal. It's allowed people to learn and connect in ways that have never been available before, but it's also um, 
tapped us into such a massive amount of information that I think people kind of subconsciously feel an obligation to keep up with, to stay abreast of it all as it pours through our lives, um, that the only way to really do so is is to start getting more and more shallow with it, to really just browse. And it's degraded our attention spans such that, you know, Mm -hmm. you can really expect somebody maybe to watch like a one-minute video and that's about it. Um, And I think that it's encroached on the way that we're able to engage with real life and real people such that it's hard to go deep and really give somebody our fullest attention as compared to even 10 years ago. And that's a shame because really when you're speaking with someone, the only person in the world that's the most important at that moment in time is the person that you're speaking with, whoever you are engaging with. That's the most important yeah. person in the world in that moment. And it's sad when you can't look in somebody's eyes and talk to them, even in a room full of students. I teach as part of a STEM program and in the summertime, and I'm the science part. And when I'm teaching and I'm talking, every single person in that room is the most important person that I'm, that I'm dealing with. When I ask who's the most important person in the room, usually they say you are, and I say, no, it isn't me. <laughs> it's not me. I wasn't looking mm-hmm. for a vote. <laughs> you know, it's you. It's all of you. And eventually they get that, but that engagement's gone. That socialization is gone. You see it in the children, which is very, very sad because they do not know how to get along with one another. They do not learn how to be social with one another. And, and I think that's sad. And one of the, to, to, um, to switch to a different topic here, one of the things that you mentioned, and now these are my words, is follow through. I often find people will commit to things and then they won't follow through. They won't show up. They won't do the task they took on. They won't return your phone call or your email when they clearly say they'll get back to you about something. They just don't. And it's beyond annoying and it doesn't make them a person that I personally trust to be reliable and dependable and when that occurs i just kind of let them go because as the giver and the recipient whichever part you play i think it's vital to to do what we say we're going to do to to be that that person of integrity and 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 do follow through i I can't think of another way to put it but to follow through and you touch on that can you tell us why breaking the habit of not following through can be so life-changing. I know it can be, but let's let our list. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Am I okay? <laughs> of course. We talk about it at great length in the book, and it's a pretty basic prerequisite to having the life that you want. Um, when I have patients who tell me things like, yeah, I made a New Year's resolution to exercise five times a day, and, you know, maybe that'll last me like a week or two, ha-ha, I think that's a really significant piece of information you're giving me there, that you can't mm-hmm. trust yourself to do what you say you're going to do. And if you don't follow through on agreements with yourself, yeah. besides the <laughs> sort of – objective uh, implications of that, like that, well, you know, clearly you can't um, expect yourself to accomplish ambitious goals or to follow through on a plan of self-care, exercise, or whatever else. Um, There's an unfortunate psychological toll, too, which is I think you're telling yourself, I don't matter. I don't respect myself or agreements with myself. And it really erodes your self-trust. Um, so it's, I think, easy for people to see it with other people, which isn't to say that uh, that makes people have integrity, even though they know the potential consequences. But when you break agreements with another person, it might have uh, a consequence on that relationship that you can really notice. The person stops calling you or <laughs> whatever. They get angry or something. Um, but more often, I think, people break agreements with themselves and don't even really notice it. We always let ourselves off the hook. We say, I'm going to wake up at eight o'clock and exercise. And, you know, we hit the snooze button and forget about it. We said, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll do it some other time. And right there, that's your first broken agreement of the day. And it, it ends up building into this massive body of evidence for your mind to look at when you tell yourself you're going to take on something big um, that hugely undermines the possibility of that happening. 
you know, your mind's like, well, chances are I'm not going to follow through on this. Like I don't follow mm-hmm. through on most of the other things I say I'm going to do. So, I, uh, I have people who talk about their New Year's resolution. They always ask me what mine is. And I said, oh, it's the same every year. And, and I, I keep it every year. I've never faltered. And they said, what is it? And I said, I never make New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's real, it's real easy because people do, you know, and, so, and we all do it every once in a while. You know, you'll wake up and you'll think, I just don't feel good. I don't think I want to work out today. But then the next day when you get up and you do it, you feel so much better. And you realize, wow, you know. Yeah. Yesterday I couldn't because of a reason or just even I don't feel like it. It's raining and I just don't want to go to yoga. You know, you can get yourself back into that because you know how good it feels. And I'm seeing, and I bet you are as well, there seems to be an increase across the board of people who are doing types of things to help themselves. One big place is in yoga class. The yoga class that I've been in for, you know, 15 years started out with, well, you know, 12 people, all women, and now there's probably 40 people and maybe 12 of them are men and they're attorneys yeah. or accountants. I'm seeing <laughs> engineers too. Yeah, I'm seeing it a lot. You must yeah. be seeing that as well. I do, and I think it's amazing, and I can't really say whether, you know, in the 1980s there wouldn't have been just as many people, but it would have been an aerobics class or something instead. But to me, the significant, the most significant part is that they're engaged in something that is addressing not just their body, but their psychological and spiritual health, too, uh, which is a real opening, a real shift in, I think, the general consciousness that wellness goes beyond just cardiovascular and, you know, muscle training um, that these people are going to a yoga class and quieting their minds and having a meditative experience, even if it's a minimal portion of the class, that's really huge. Um, so that does signal that I, I think we are moving in the right direction overall. And even in the midst of, you know, some of the most intense political conflict I've ever seen, um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of people get clearer than ever about what's really important to them and, you know, about how they feel called to, uh, to do their work in the world and make a difference. I see that as well. And, and even though the, you know, the Shavasana at the end of yoga is the, is the meditation part, the whole class Mm -hmm. pretty much is meditative because you have to concentrate on those postures. You're supposed to be going within and, you know, not falling over and, you know, doing whatever it is you do, you're really within your own self and it's so quiet. I see that. And when I talk to these people after class, they will tell me, oh, yeah, I come here because it really it, it helps my mind. And these are people who have yeah. really stressful, big jobs. And, and that is so wonderful to hear and see because meditation is such an important part about about us, how we can make our, that's one of the first things I'll tell people is try to meditate for one minute, just one minute, do me that, but make sure it's full meditation. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, just do it for one minute and you'll find at the end of the week, you'll want to do it for five or 10. And you discuss meditation in your book. and, And I love that part, the part you wrote about being receptive, isn't lazy. And I thought, oh yeah, everybody thinks it's lazy. I don't have time to meditate. And I'll tell them, you don't have time not to meditate. It gives you more time. It really does, because now you can clearly attack things. You can go after whatever it is you're doing. You can go through your day in a much clearer manner, and you will have time at the end of the day. I guarantee it. So that part about uh, receptive, being receptive isn't lazy. It's not. It's almost like the letting go to be receptive is the harder part. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. It's it's one of the hardest things anyone can do, yeah. I think, to yeah, stop. It is to stop running and analyzing, and you know, um, we talk about how there's this uh, in in sort of classical Chinese medicine textbooks. There are these the usual causes listed for each of the different diseases, and in so many of these different diseases, one of the causes is imbalance between stillness and movement, and uh, historically that usually meant someone was working too hard and not resting enough with their body. Because this was, you know, 2,000 years ago when most of these texts 
began to come about, at least a thousand for most of them. Um, uh, but in this day and age, it's we have plenty of physical stillness. We sit in chairs so much of the time. Um, if anything, it's the opposite in terms of our bodies. But our real imbalance of mo- of too much movement is in our minds, where we're 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 always feeding them with something. We're always analyzing something, and so um, fasting with your mind for a little, even a minute, uh, for most people can be supremely challenging and really mm-hmm. that in the same way that fasting physically physical fasting makes people feel deprived um i think for some people when they shut their mind off there's this almost like desperation that, that comes to them like like I, I can't handle this i need something to chew on uh and you know of course your mind obliges and throws up all sorts of thoughts for you um but not indulging in them not following them um is is a very different thing than how we're used to behaving and it it changes your life it does and it's very it's amazing to see people and i can see it i see it firsthand a lot of times because i'll play i play quartz crystal singing bowls that's part of what i do and i play them in concert mm-hmm. and i was trained to play them specifically for healing purposes and the bowls are not just any old bowls you know i'm very picky about where i've purchased my bowls and people oh, come yeah, to a concert oh yeah i have too <laughs> yeah uh-huh. And they will lay down, and I will play all the bowls. I've got like 17 of them. And those smaller ones that are clear, I will play on them. And the rest I will play on the grass or wherever they are if I'm in a building. And the sound is incredible. And I've had people come in and say, I don't know why I'm here. My boss told me to come because he said it was good, and he's paying for it, so I have to be here. But there's no way you can help me. I never stop. My brain just doesn't stop. One woman said that, and it at the end of my first 20 minutes, everybody was sitting up, and I looked over, and I said, remember how she said she would never, nothing would happen? And they said, yeah. I said, let's look at her now. Let's all stare at her. And they all looked at her. I said, should mm-hmm. I wake her up? And they were like, I don't know. And I went over, and I gently shook her, and she goes, what? And I said, are you okay? And she goes, oh, yeah, I, I was awake. I was awake. And I said, all right. Well, I do three sets. And at the end of the third set, she came up to me, and she said, I cannot believe that I was able to stop that was like the best I've ever felt. And I said, you really need a, a lot of stress. You know, you need this. Um, you know, if you liked it, you ought to come back for more. And people yeah. don't think that they can stop that, that chatter, but they can. They can. They just have to allow it. And, you know, once you do that, you're, you're really in a better place. Is there something, a tip or something you can give our listeners today, right now, to help them begin a journey to a more satisfying life, something that they could – do what what would you suggest they do in the moment so that when they're sitting tonight after eating dinner they can say okay i'm going to do this one thing and and maybe it would help them to see that this really does help you got anything (laughs) well there's so many things hard to choose just one um (laughs) you know i would say uh to to what to the point you were just making um you know even striving to stop the chatter is is maybe um mon- more manipulative than than i would advise most people to be because they're always trying to manipulate their consciousness so without even trying to stop it um if if you could just watch your breath and and notice what's happening with your mind without um without following these streams of thought that occur just let it let it do its thing your mind is going to just keep on chattering no matter what but as you expand your consciousness um it's sort of like if it's this rushing river as if you're sitting right next to a, a gigantic rushing loud river and you're allowing it to sort of recede into the distance like it's dropping down into a canyon eventually you'll come to a a state where you notice that your mind is continuing to go, but it's like a mile below you. It's, it's still going on. It's still going on, still going on. Um, and you don't need to restrain it or try to change it in any way, but you just notice that, um, your mind and its chatter is just like the tiniest fragment of your consciousness, uh, that you're really so much more than just that mind um, and even if you can just do that for a single breath, if you could just keep your consciousness focused 
inward for one inhale and exhale. Uh, for a lot of people, maybe that's all they could manage, and that would be great. Um, but in that's, terms of uh, a more – go ahead. The breath, I think you're so on target with that. I'm so glad you said that because when I'm watching the news sometimes and they're interviewing someone, I notice the breath of the person they're interviewing. It's like, oh, wow, they're really stressed. Look at that shallow breathing. And that, that literally goes through my head, and I'm like, wow, because if you – Take the deep breaths from the diaphragm and you're, and you're breathing in a way that allows you to be calmer. You don't even realize it, but it does do that to you. It automatically does that to you if you can try to get that breath. But sometimes people can't catch it. Like I've had people say, it almost hurts for me to breathe sometimes because I, I can't get a full breath. That's when I know they're, they're yeah. like beyond wicked stressed. They're beyond stressed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Their nervous system is just in this hypervigilant stage state rather uh where they're always you know on the lookout for some kind of threat um it's hard but yeah let's go with that and and let's say let's let's say do this one thing the there's a saying in uh in chinese medicine and, and it's probably actually common to a number of different traditions that the mind follows the breath so mm-hmm. If you slow your breath down, your breathing down, then you'll notice your thoughts slowing down. And I would also say deepening the breath. That doesn't necessarily mean taking very, very long inhales and exhales. There shouldn't be anything really forced feeling about it, but depth as in allowing your breath to go deep into your body. So uh, for people to imagine that as they inhale – that if you can sort of visualize from the inside your pelvis and how it's kind of like a bowl, that as you bring the breath in, that it's filling up that pelvic bowl. It's like filling a bowl up with water to a point that you can even feel like an expansion of your hips from the inside, that deep, that kind of depth. Um, You'll notice your mind really slowing down as if as if something is has like put the brake on it and then especially for people who are anxious um making the exhale as long as they can again without any sort of forcing but really emphasizing the letting go part of it um if you find that you're breathing really shallow and high in your chest and you're really emphasizing the inhale switch to really emphasizing the exhale the letting go part of it uh even if someone were to just do that a few times throughout the course of the day, I think it would change the, the whole feel of their day. And sometimes I'll tell people to put stickers like stars or something that they like around their living space or their car. And every time they catch one of those stickers out of the corner of their eye, that means take a deep breath. And if mm-hmm. they stop noticing them because they've been in the same place for too long, they can move them around. Right, because you become oblivious to them after a while. It's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> right. That's a really good piece of advice because even if you do that, I do it at night when I uh, I meditate and then I go to bed and I actually do a lot of deep, deep breathing when I'm in bed because I know it's going to make me sleep a, little, a whole lot better. So I love the breath thing. That's a really good tip, listeners. Peter, we're almost at the top of the hour. I can't believe how fast this went by. But before we go, and I want to mention to everyone that, you know, Dr. Peter Borton, co-author of The Well Life. You can check out his website at thewelllifebook.com. Is that correct? That's correct. And Mm -hmm. uh, our other site is thedragontree.com, which has all of our courses and our bios and more about us and what we do. I was going to ask you, um, I know you have courses as well, which is really fascinating. And where may they purchase your book? It's available everywhere. Uh, they can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and um, I believe it's they can get it in brick and mortar stores like Barnes and Noble, most of the big bookstores around the country. Yep, and if they go into their uh, local bookshops, you can ask, and they can get it for you as well. So you know, if you if sure. Barnes and Noble is too far away, you can get it somewhere else. You don't have to get it online. I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful show. It's fascinating to talk to to people about this type of thing, and I love your book. I truly do. It's easy. It's simple. It's a great way to just try to introduce into your life things that are going to bring you a lot more wellness it's going to make you feel differently and your life will change you will see it if you read this book and use it as a reference so everybody go out and get the well life by brianna and dr peter borton uh so listeners 
We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. And also check out our charitable organization for kids, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every penny of every donation goes directly to children in need. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries or stipends, no compensation to anyone of any kind. I'm also the author of the soon-to-be-released children's book, Santa's Tiniest Elves, and royalties from the book go directly to children in need as well. We're Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. We believe by investing in a brighter tomorrow, we are giving them a better today. So thank you for taking time to visit our website. You can also go to our website, and on the right-hand side, click on the link when you get there. And a little box comes up. There'll be a black heart. Click on the black heart. And when it turns red, you voted for us to win. We need to raise money. And we're in a contest to win either 1000 1500 or no, $2,500 or $5,000. It will go to our free eyeglass program. So it's important that you vote. So everybody, thank you so much. Your vote will make a huge impact on children in need. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. I am your host, T-Love here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.